Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's December 13th and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week, Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we're talking about how gay is the USA. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about the 2021 Heisman Trophy. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, sports stars staying classy. After that, we're going to share some highlights from our panel discussion with trans activists relating to the groundbreaking documentary, Changing the Game. First, a quick update on Team DC. Team DC board elections will be held at the annual meeting in January, and nominations are being accepted now. Positions up for election include vice president, secretary, treasurer, board member for scholarship, board member for fundraising, board member for communications, and board member in charge of the Night Out series. If you would like to nominate yourself or another person, or if you would like more information about any of these positions, please email less at teamdc.org. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. And now here's Gabe with our first topic and this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. First up, our queer topic. New data released by the U.S. Census Bureau has revealed that at least 20 million adults identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. This almost doubles the previous estimates of LGBT adults living in the U.S. Researchers at HRC analyzed the data from the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey and reported on Thursday that 2 million adults in the U.S. could identify as transgender, up from 1.4 million that were previously estimated. 4% of respondents identified as bisexual and and represented the largest contingent of responders. 3% identified as gay or lesbian, while 2% identified with a sexual orientation that was not lesbian, gay, bisexual, or straight. California, with approximately 2.6 LGBT adults, and Texas, with approximately 1.7 million adults, had the largest amount of respondents who took the survey that identified as LGBT. LGBTQ plus people live in every community across every state, Arizona, California, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Texas have the largest number of LGBTQ plus people who respond to the survey residing in their states. LGBTQ plus folks are in every state, zip code, and community in the U.S. So, Laura. Uh, did you hear about the survey? Did you hear about this data that came out from the Census Bureau? And are you surprised that more people are coming out as LGBTQ plus in the U.S.? I did hear about this. I am not surprised. I mean, <laughs> I think there's a lot of things going on here. One, people didn't really try to count LGBTQ plus people that hard <laughs> in the past. Two, we do keep adding letters to our uh, acronym, which means we are including more and more people. We are recognizing that there's more um, more to the gen- to the sexuality spectrum than just lesbian, gay, or straight. And as we acknowledge that, we make space for more and more people to uh, identify themselves as fitting within 
the non-straight community, I guess, is, um, <laughs> you know, sort of what it is. And so there's, you know, I think it's the, probably um, it, true that the numbers are a lot of it is reflecting more that we are as a culture recognizing the spectrum of sexuality more necessarily than like the percentage of people is increasing but then I do also think that the percentage of people is increasing because it's also becoming easier for people to um, acknowledge their identities and celebrate their identities and identify um, that way as opposed to um, suppressing um, that part of their identity um, and denying their themselves the opportunity to live openly that way so there's a lot going on here. I think all of it is positive. I think all of it is, you know, exciting and has great um, implications for where we're going as a society. And yeah, this is really big news. Yeah, I think it's it's really cool. And I, and I kind of, I totally agree that I think researchers haven't really been delving into this part of society and this part of, you know, culture in the United States. So it's interesting to see that uh, yeah, we're getting data from the Census Bureau talking about sexual orientations and how people identify and basically, you know, how do you fall in the alphabet mafia that is being part of LGBTQ+. Um, it's interesting this to, that they kind of really posted and harped on, uh, or the HRC did, that there is someone who is queer, LGBTQ in your community, and they're, you know, we're everywhere. So... Um, it's yeah. not just like a big city thing. It's like, you know, small towns, small places. And I think, yeah, it, it's a lot easier now, I think, to be to come out. So, yeah, we have a lot of younger folks who are coming out. We have a lot of older folks who are coming out as well. Um, it's it's an easier time. It's still kind of hard in some places, but okay. it is definitely easier. <laughs> Bachelors are coming out. NFL players are coming out. <laughs> <and> <laughs> exactly uh, 2021 the year the bachelor <laughs> came out uh, no seriously yeah this is uh this is really great like i said i don't know how much of it is that there are more queer people in the world but i think, I think it's finally being counted and people are finally yeah, it, being counted and being you know comfortable enough in our own lives to want to be counted and those are great things so even to say to like to the government yes i'm gay yes i'm lesbian yes i fall under you know or i don't fall under one of these letters um because it's kind of scary yeah when you get these like surveys because this is not coming from the census data this is coming from a, a separate uh survey that the census does every year and uh yeah more, a lot of people were like yep yeah, sure sign me up <laughs> yeah and by the way like you know we did just finish a census year and i know that there were a lot of people in the lgbtq plus community who were hesitant um to fill out the sexual orientation questions on the census um and not because they're closeted or because they don't self-identify in every other way but because they just didn't feel like they wanted to interact by the government in that way and it's a good opportunity to just reiterate to everyone how important it is to fill out that information on the census. The census is a really important tool for how government resources get spread out in this country, what communities get the benefit of government resources and things like that. And if you, if you aren't counted, if your community isn't counted, you cannot uh, get the benefit of that. It's really important. And I would really super encourage everyone um, who identifies as LGBTQ plus to, you know, fill out their census the next time around. It's 10 years away now. Uh, <laughs> but fill it out and make sure that you do identify because there are resources that should be directed to the LGBTQ plus community specifically in each geographic area, in each zip code. And if you don't get counted on the census that way, then you, the resources will not get um, targeted to that community. So watch out for that in 2031. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. Holy cow, 20... that's crazy. That is crazy to even think about that. <laughs> but, yeah, but even so. some of these other, these other surveys, like I, I was doing some like research and reading up on some other stuff. And I found out that before the way they would try to like estimate how many gay people were living in the u.s was one looking to see like the names that were associated but then they're like are they brothers are they sisters are they whatever 
And then they started like looking into uh, distributions of gay mag- and lesbian magazines to see like to try to identify households in the country because right. nobody asked. Well, yeah, it was well, like crazy and, ways of doing research. I mean, you know, you got to do what you can do. If there's the data is not out there, you have to try to find something to extrapolate from. But now that oh, she gets media, the advocate, she must be a lesbian. Well, now that print <laughs> media is dead, I don't know if that's going to work. So everybody fill out your surveys. It's important. Yeah, and then we find out how you know how gay Arizona is. Of all the states, Arizona, I think they said roughly had more people that responded to the survey, more LGBTQ plus people from Arizona than like any other state that outweighed their population. So gay Arizona. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do like you know, listen, the states that have the highest LGBTQ plus communities are also very populous states, right? Like, so that's you know, that's a thing. Like DC doesn't make your list, but we know. The DC yes. has a high percentage of gay people, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah, but it just has a really small population. So that's like an interesting thing. I also think like a lot of lesbians have retired to Arizona recently. It's like a <laughs> that <thing>. could be <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, you know, that's a lot of things. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's all really interesting. But the, the important thing to keep in mind is that there are queer people literally everywhere. Everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that is a segment of the population that exists everywhere and needs to be uh, respected and cared for everywhere. And hooray for the end of 2021. We can celebrate just how gay the good old US of A is coming. <laughs> and <laughs> what are we doing this week in the topic of sports? All right. Moving on to my sports topic. The Heisman Trophy, which has been awarded to the most outstanding player in college football since 1935, was awarded on Saturday to sophomore Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. Young was the heavy favorite to win with 684 first place votes, a first for any QB from the University of Alabama. Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson, Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett and Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud were named as finalists for the Heisman. Young finished his sophomore season with an impressive 4,322 yards passing, 43 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. Alabama is now the fifth school to have consecutive Heisman Trophy winners. The win launched the Crimson Tide to the top seeding of the college football rankings. Number one, Alabama will play number four, Cincinnati, at the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Eve. So let's see if the Heisman's curse strikes again. Uh, Laura, have you kept up with Bryce Young or any of the Alabama players? Uh, were you surprised? Did you hear anything? Are you a fan of college football? No, I'm not <laughs> yeah, surprised. I mean, I mean, come on. Bryce Young threw 43 touchdowns and only four interceptions. He, <laughs> deserves, he deserves all the yeah. awards. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that it was less his Heisman win and more their uh, decided ass kicking of Georgia that launched yeah. the number one seed in the college football playoffs. Um, but yeah, no, I think all that of helped. this is correct. Yeah, it, it doesn't hurt to have your to have the Heisman winner. Um, but he really is that good. Um, and he did really have a monster year. So congratulations to him. I also really think CJ Stroud had a really great year. Um, I will admit that I don't um didn't see Pittsburgh play. So I don't really know anything about Kenny Pickett. And while I get Aiden Hutchinson is amazing, it's just, it's not, you know, as like a casual college football fan, it's hard to like get super excited about a defensive end. Um, So, you know, this was all pretty obvious to me, but I also think big congrats to CJ Stroud. He had a hell of a year too. So, but I am excited for the cotton bowl. I'm excited for the playoffs. This will be, you know, it's always fun to watch those the end of the year play out. So, yeah, pretty awesome. I mean, I wouldn't mind having a Heisman. Just, you know, casually throwing it out. By the way, I have a Heisman. Yeah, or two. <laughs> or two or three, you know. Um, no, yeah, like I, I know I think it was uh, Hutchinson was the second, I guess, place one, but he was like way off. There's, I think they have 800 and some odd, 870 voters, media voters, there's like a fan vote and stuff like that, but it was clearly um, uh, Bryce Young who was going to win. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm really excited to see the playoffs. Uh, again, I love watching college football on Saturdays with some of my friends and just hear them yell and scream. And, yeah. okay, you're going to love this because, you know, Savvy, 
our, our good friend Shane, who we interviewed in season one, uh, huge Alabama football fan. And uh, yeah, his husband's, uh, what should we call it? His husband's Buckeyes are, I think, number seven. There's a big rivalry in that house, and it's hilarious like to see them yeah. go back, you know, fight with each other uh, <laughs> between Ohio State I mean, and Alabama. I, I get it, and like that's great, but all due respect, like that's a pretty lopsided rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ohio State, if you're talking about like what are some of the best college football programs in the country, Ohio State is going to be one of the top that come to yeah. mind. But when you talk about Alabama, Ohio State, like I'm pretty sure Alabama has that one. Uh, pretty much wrapped up, but uh, yeah, and across the street from me, two separate houses suddenly have Cincinnati Bearcat um, <laughs> sides. So, like, who knew that Cincinnati had like such a fandom? <laughs> uh, they're coming out of the woodwork, so you know that's <laughs> exciting too. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty psyched for uh, the playoffs. That's going to be good times. I will be. Um, fresh back from my Christmas beach vacation and ready to watch the cotton bowl on New Year's Eve. <laughs> I will be coming back from my, my goodwill tour, 2021, 22. <laughs> so I'll probably be watching them. You know what? Yeah. We're going to be in Puerto Rico watching all the bowl games. So that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. It's not going to be as easy to find them on TV as it is here. <laughs> oh, it, it, we're, I'm going with a house full of football fans. Definitely. Because uh, so, one year I was in, I think, Mexico for the Super Bowl. And it was the weirdest trying to like find a place to watch the Super Bowl and like with in English and like the whole thing. It was, it was, a, it was an interesting experience. It was just like not nearly as exciting for them. And, uh, where, oh, maybe I was in Jamaica, but wherever it was, the like only people that were like gathered to watch the game were like American it was it was just a weird vibe all around but i have no doubt um i mean obviously puerto rico is part of the united states but i just am not sure that they're as big into college football as uh people who live you know in the continental u.s are <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens but i'm excited yeah um, no it's super fun football. yes for sure um all right what's up at the intersection of sports and queer Right for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer. We've talked about stories before of fans behaving badly in the stands, but this week, gay pro wrestler Anthony Bowens didn't let unruly fans bring him down. So video was captured where homophobic slurs were yelled at Bowens during a four-on-four wrestling match. Bowens tweeted, stuff like this unfortunately still exists. I'm not phased. I just keep fighting against stuff like this till the day I die. Bones is no stranger to fighting homophobia online. He famously tweeted a picture kissing his boyfriend in front of anti-gay protesters that made the rounds. All elite wrestling fans were quick to show their support for Bowens online. Bowens came out as bisexual in 2017 and announced he was gay in 2019. He told Sports Illustrated, I'm representing the LGBTQ plus community and athletes that are LGBTQ plus, but even more than that, too. I'm representing the small town kid who was told he'd never make it. And I'm here for the shy kid that is ready to burst out of his shell and be that social butterfly to know that I'm having a positive impact on people is such a blessing and making me feel that I made the right decision to come out. I want to continue having really entertaining matches and increase LGBT plus visibility in entertainment. Thanks for keeping it classy. Anthony Bowens and homophobic fans need to sit down. Um, so yeah, Laura, I don't know if you saw this, it was going around on Facebook and the internet, uh, both pictures, actually, uh, the one where he's kissing his boyfriend. And then after that, uh, TMZ did a whole thing about trying to find the fan who was yelling these homophobic slurs during the match. I didn't hear about this. Somehow I still managed to keep myself unaware of wrestling news, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is really interesting like this whole year I've been kind of like you know paying attention to all these coming out stories and everything and the sheer volume 
of professional wrestlers that came out over the last two years is it's insane fucking incredible like <laughs> i don't know what it is is it the costumes yes. is it like the fact that you get to have like a whole soap opera backstory to your character <laughs> like Glitter. but there are a lot of queer wrestlers and so i don't know maybe i need to start supporting professional wrestling again um i did as a kid <laughs> like really get into the whole hulk hogan macho man brandy savage rivalry for a while there so maybe i need to dive back in um because it's amazing to me how many queer people are out in wrestling and it's amazing to me that people still have the desire need energy to go be an anti-gay protester like what precisely are you protesting at this point i don't like just protesting (laughs) the existence of queer people like is it that important to you that like in the world of professional wrestling there isn't any queer people like are we sullying the good name of professional wrestling are you guys so fucking on the up and up with your weird backstories and crazy nonsense that like the gays (laughs) are going to be the problem (laughs) do they still hit each other over the head with fucking collapsible uh, folding chairs? <laughs> like, this is not the arena where we're teaching our children their, like, best behavior or anything. Like, That's gay behavior. What are behavior. we exactly worried about <laughs> that the gays are going to do to make pro wrestling, like, worse? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little crazy to me. I can't believe people still feel the need to protest just being gay. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, all of you like homophobic fans, you know what? You want to stand up? Fine, just go do it in your own homes. Leave us alone. <laughs> like we're not out here trying to bother. Go yell in the arena. Yeah, like if you want to stay home and yell at your TV, go for it. But like we're not, <laughs> we're not here to listen to your nonsense. You don't. Like I'm not. Again, I really don't even understand what it is that you are exactly protesting. But I, I really, I'm not here for it. So um, yeah, I think yeah. I told you I went to a lucha libre mass or uh, match. In Mexico City, and it was the gayest thing I have ever seen. Like, it was insane. My friends were like, "Let's go," and I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Seriously, gay. So I'm capes. gonna go out on a limb and say, "I bet it wasn't the gayest thing you've ever seen." <laughs> Giggle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I hear you. I, the whole thing is just wild. <laughs> There's a lot of queer in professional wrestling. I, but yeah, so good for Anthony Bowens, though. Not only like. Um, like just saying fuck you to these guys because like coming out is one thing like that's an important step but then like just showing them that like he's not phased by their actions and their hate is like another big important step and i i join him in hoping that um all that he's doing is going to have a really positive impact yeah i mean the way he was saying it he's a, he's a good ally he's a good person to uh um a good role model to look up to because you know he came from a small town he's a small town kid and he's you know he, there's different ways he could have handled this you know he could have gone after the fan kind of started something and now he's just saying better than that you know what i'm just going to show them uh who i am and here's a picture of me kissing my boyfriend suck it like <laughs> take on that this pisses you off like it pisses you off that i'm gay well i'm going to show you a picture take that <laughs> yeah for sure Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll share highlights from our panel discussion with Transact. Hello to everyone joining us. We are so grateful you're here. I'm honored to be able to introduce this film and this panel of transgender advocates, experts, and most importantly, real-life trans people for what we know will be a meaningful and impactful conversation tonight about changing the game and transgender participation in sports. Emmy award-winning filmmaker Michael Barnett's urgent and subsuming sports documentary illuminates what many have called the civil rights issue of our time, transgender inclusion in sports. Changing the game takes us into the lives of of three high school student athletes at all different stages of their athletic seasons, personal lives, and unique paths as transgender teens. Their stories span across the US, from Sarah, a skier and teen policymaker in New Hampshire, to Andrea, a track star in Connecticut, openly competing on the girls track team, and Mac Beggs, who made headlines when he became the Texas state champion in girls wrestling as a boy. 
Changing the Game made its streaming premiere on June 1st as a Hulu original documentary and is now available nationwide. Uh, joining us tonight are Ann Lieberman, the Director of Policy and Programs at Athlete Ally, uh, Rodrigo Hang Ledinen, the Deputy Executive Director for the National Center for Transgender Equality, or NCTE, Sasha Bookert, a senior attorney at the Washington DC Office of Lambda Legal, the oldest and largest organization dedicated to advancing the civil rights of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgender people, and individuals living with HIV. Ava Benach, an immigration attorney and founding partner of Benach Calopy, youth baseball coach, and the recipient of Team DC's 2021 Horizon Award given annually to an educator or coach who advocates on behalf of the LGBTQ community. Uh, congratulations on that honor, Ava, and we're so glad to have you here tonight. Um, and of course, Andrea Yearwood, uh, trans athlete, total rock star, and film subject. And thank you all so much for being here uh, with us in community tonight. Um, so let's dive right in. Um, Changing the Game is such a powerful film because it centers the stories and lives of trans youth in ways that we don't typically see or hear, um, namely coming from trans youth. Um, and as one of the national policy experts on this, can you share a bit about this film and why this conversation is so pressing right now? Hi, everyone. It's so wonderful to be here. Um, first of all, if you haven't had an opportunity to see the film, you have to watch it immediately. Run, don't walk, download a free trial of Hulu for two weeks. The film is absolutely incredible. I'm just so thrilled that it's finally on a streaming platform. Um, I wished during this entire legislative session that this film was available on Hulu so we could show it to lawmakers across the country because this has been, without exaggeration, the worst, and it continues, legislative session for LGBTQI plus folks in the history of this country. Uh, we, you know, Athlete Ally and many of my colleagues on this call have been working to fight over 300 bills across the country targeting LGBTQ plus folks with a third of those targeting trans people and really trans kids in either the sports space. So what we call transgender athlete bans, banning trans kids from being able to play sports with their friends or medical care bans, essentially banning trans kids from accessing life-saving and affirming healthcare. And right now we have nine states um, Florida became the ninth to pass legislation or issue executive orders banning trans kids from playing sports with their friends. And when we talk about how we got here, um, it depends how far we want to go back. <laughs> but I think, you know, the important thing for you all to know who are entering this conversation is essentially since trans people have been visible, there have been attempts by lawmakers to silence us and remove us from public life. And we saw that in 2015 and 2016 when bathroom bans swept the country and we're seeing another familiar version of that fear mongering and hatred today in the form of these athlete bans and, and medical care bans. And sports is such an important part of a young person's life and having access to sport and being able to participate on a team with your friends. And I know from my personal experience, I would not be here today if I wasn't able to participate in sports. And we know the benefits of participation in sports in terms of mental health impacts. The Trevor Project just released a study on LGBTQ plus youth in sport. And one of the many important stats we have in that report is that when trans kids have access to affirming spaces at school, like a sports team, that they're 25% less likely to report a suicide attempt within a year. So we know that sports and, and affirming spaces are literally life-saving for kids. And I think we see that through this film. And we also see an incredible amount of joy in friendship and a narrative that we don't get to see. And that's also why I love that the film allows Andrea and Terry and Mac and Sarah Rose the ability to tell the complexity and beauty of their stories in their lives. Awesome. Thank you, Anne. So Andrea, um, one of the things that I really wanted to ask you uh, is really about your participation in the film and and like what drew you a to playing sports 
and uh, and what kept you running? Yeah, so I guess, well, throughout my life and throughout kind of my childhood, my parents, my parents have always been very encouraging about us to like playing sports and kind of every day after school, we had to be doing something like athletic wise. So I mean, through my childhood, I'd always done sports. I'd done, I swam, I danced, and like I had done soccer at one point. And I got to middle school and I found out, you know, track exists, existed. I thought, oh, I really want to try this. It sounds like a really cool sport. So then I did it, but I think I really got into it in high school. And that's when like, I was like, okay, like this is my sport now. And I just really started to enjoy it. And I got really well, like in my each individual, I guess, events. But yeah, no, it was really fun. And I mean, obviously my teammates and my friends had also had a big impact on my overall experience within high school. And I guess really they were the ones to kind of help me keep going with the sport and help me continue to run just because, I mean, that's really all that sport is about is just having fun with your friends and getting and like learning those teamwork skills. So just, I mean, having fun with them, that's all I really wanted to do. And I, I just continue to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. And we see that in the film. Um, as well. You, you touch on uh, building community and having fun and this joy that we get in sports. Um, Rodrigo, one of the things that NCTE is most known for um, are the comprehensive health surveys uh, that are certainly quoted often. Um, what do we know about the health and safety ramifications um, behind some of this legislation or of some of this legislation being introduced to exclude transgender youth from sport, even if they don't pass? Yeah, well, the, basically what we know is that all of these kinds of attacks on trans youth create an unsafe environment for in the schools, regardless of whether an individual trans young person is playing on a sports team or not. Uh, the survey that you mentioned is called the U.S. Trans Survey. It's uh, a survey we do uh, every five years. But anyway, this is the, the biggest study um, of trans people's experiences, and we have found really pervasive discrimination. The top finding uh, is that 77%, that's uh, over three out of every four trans young people, are experience harassment in schools, whether that's verbal harassment or outright physical assault um, or anything in between. And if you look at, look at the study, you see specific numbers for all of those things. But that is over three out of every four trans young people feeling unsafe at school. I mean, that is inexcusable. And it's really important to remember that anytime a state runs one of these attacks like a sports bill, it sends the message that trans people don't belong. Even like you, Shane, like you said, even if the bill doesn't pass, there is still damage in kind of get, getting that tone out there that trans people and especially trans youth are subject to debate. Um, so we see the, this kind of hostility go up on in K through 12 schools, again, even if that individual young person isn't even playing on a sports team. So it's really, really important that everyone who supports trans athletes speak out about it and be really proactive about sharing your point of view and stand up for for trans young people, if you hear someone debating these sports bills, because you never know who else needs to hear that message. And you never know what kind of difference you could make by just setting the tone and getting across that this is about just treating people with respect. And especially when it comes to youth issues, you know, for those of us who are adults, we are at our best when we are helping young people to thrive and to learn, not putting a target on their back. That was wonderful and so succinct. Can I make that my ringtone? Uh, that was, that <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> Great. Um, you talk about, you just mentioned participation and, and being part of something and letting trans kids belong. Um, we also have such an incredible honor to have a trans coach with us. Um, Ava, we talk so much about what it means to be a trans kid who belongs, but when we talk about visibility and showing kids that they can be trans people, trans athletes, trans happy adults. Um, how does being out and visible help you create an inclusive team um, culture and climate for your players? Uh, I, I wish it were so simple, but I think it, I think it, there is something to it. I've got 
I run DC Girls Baseball. We are a program to support girls who want to play baseball. Um, when you meet a girl who plays baseball, you're per se meeting a badass because they've rejected all the ideas about what girls ought to do. So when you meet girls who play baseball, there are a group of girls that are automatically self-selected. And I don't go around um, waving my, my transness. I'm just, I'm just me. What I've found is that kids can sniff out authenticity and inauthenticity a mile away. And if you're, if you're, if you're giving them garbage, they know it. If you're being yourself, they will let their guard down and they will be themselves. You know, a lot of our kids identify as somewhere along the LGBTQ spectrum. And I'll be, you know, for all the uh, labels that we like to put at our, you know, in our 40s and 30s, those of us who are on this panel, maybe some are younger than that, uh, teenagers and the younger ones, they don't care at all. They t take your labels and they spit on them. Uh, they, they all have some sort of identity that is entirely their own and they reject almost all labels. And it's such a liberating thing to see among kids who it's okay. That's who they are. Uh, and that's their mindset. Uh, so it's done much more for me than I ever could have done for them. Thank you so much, Ava. And it sounds like they get to shed all of those labels and for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, just be a baseball player. And what an incredible gift that is. Do you think that folks are, um, girls and, and young women are, are seeking out your team because of that ability and that culture you've created where they can shed some of these labels? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I don't think there's uh, any other explanation for the numbers. Uh, but, you know, they come to us because there is something about being on the girls team that means something to them, that being a part of a group of, of, of girls who play baseball is somehow um, special and different. Coming to us is sort of a, it's a respite. It's a place to sort of sort of like you put it, Shane, just be ball players. That's awesome. That's incredible. I'm so grateful that that exists, that you've created that in the DC area. Um, and that leads me to my next question and such a great tie in. One of the, or two of the subplots that we hear so much in the film. And again, if you haven't had a chance to yet see Changing the Game, um, it is on Hulu. You can watch it right after this, grab some dinner, sit down, have a nosh, watch the film or watch it tomorrow. Um, it's gonna be there. But one of the things that I, I love in the film so much is that we, it talks about trans joy and resilience. And of course the impact of allyship, um, having supportive family and loving friends, two narratives, uh, that are often missing from this national conversation where trans kids are being vilified, traumatized, and politicized. Um, so I want to talk about trans joy. We have a panel of trans people. Um, what are you looking forward to? What future are you hopeful for? Uh, what are you hoping to achieve uh, for trans people, even for your own trans personness? And um, Andrea, I would love to start with you. What does trans joy look like for you? What are you hopeful for? Um, I guess I'm just more hopeful, I guess, for us or the trans community to be able to live in a space in a world, I mean, that doesn't constantly question our transness and constantly question, like, who we are or our position within certain spaces. Um, I just hope that, you know, with more information, more conversation about the trans community, you know, with this documentary coming out and hopefully others soon, that people just learn more, kind of open their minds and open their eyes, you know, to who we are as trans people. And then hopefully with that information, kind of share and continue to support and accept us, you know, as they should. And you absolutely do that in the film and in your daily life. Thank you so much for that. Um, to the rest of the panel, what is trans joy like for you? Sasha, I would love to hear, um, what does this look like in the work that you do? What's your joy? What's, what do you hope for? Uh, well, it's been a difficult year, so, uh, but, I, but I think that uh, in, in, 
and piggybacking on what Andrea said, I think that, you know, part of what we've seen in the last year, as difficult as it's been, is a lot of folks, um, a lot of allies standing up and, and going to provide testimony in person at different state legislatures. You know, there was a video of a father of a trans girl in Missouri that, you know, just made me break down in tears. If you haven't seen it, go find it, because it's really, really um, moving. And we've seen that replicated all across the country this year and people having really difficult conversations, you know, in, in support of trans people. So, you know, I, I do believe that first they ignore you, you know, and then they laugh at you and then they fight you and then you win. And that's where we are. We're in the fight and we got to keep fighting. What brings me, what gives me joy is my community. I love, I love trans people, I love non-binary people so much. <laughs> so yeah, I just appreciate being with you and, and um, uh, uh, every day is a joy. I love that. Thank you so much for that. Um, anyone else, what's bringing you trans joy? What are you looking forward to? Um, I, I was just talking to some friends about this, you know, Pride Month for many of us who work in the space is always very, very busy. And one of the things that I found really amazing about the kinds of trainings that we're doing this year and the panels, it's 90, actually maybe 100% of them are about trans inclusion uh, and trans identity and experience. And we're talking, you know, from panels like this one to panels at major corporations like Procter and Gamble, who basically have done a series of events with trans athletes and on trans inclusion in sports. And so I have a lot of hope because I see many more organizations wanting to have intentional conversations about trans inclusion in sport. And as somebody who's a community organizer at heart, I really believe in the power of the one-to-one -one conversations and the real education focus of so many of these panels. And I, I do think, you know, Sasha, to your point that we're fighting now, but we're gearing up for a win because so many people really want to be allies and want to help in this fight. And so that brings me so much joy and so much hope and what has been a really devastating session. On the other hand, you know, we we're, we're fighting bills in over 30 states and we're beating back the majority of them. So that also, I'm trying to also keep that in perspective. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, Rigo, jump in. Sure. I mean, I'm really looking forward to winning. And to echo it, Sasha and Anne kind of got at a bit there. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time and a matter of us staying in the fight. Now, the there is going to be and already has been damage in the meantime. So I don't mean to minimize the harm of what's going on now. But I do want to give us some hope because I think that when we're fighting all of these attacks on trans youth, it can sometimes get demoralizing and feel like there's not a point. And I think it's, you know, at times like that, when it, when it can feel like defeat already, it can be helpful, at least for me, to remember that we've been here before and come out the other side of it. It was not that long ago that we were facing similarly intense and mean attacks on trans people under the guise of bathroom bans. Now that's mostly in the rear view mirror. That's mostly behind us. That when we were in the middle of that, it seemed like we were never gonna get out of it. It seemed like there was no hope, but we kept fighting and we kept fighting and we kept fighting. And eventually enough people in the public kind of realized that this was a bunch of nonsense and realized that there was nothing to be scared of with this is just a trans person trying to live our daily lives out in the world. So I really do think that we, because we are in the right, it is a matter of time until we win on this. I mean, trans people are coming out at earlier and earlier ages and we're coming out to more and more people in our lives. And when we do that, you know, some people uh, reject us, but a lot of people take it as a moment to realize that, you know, trans people are not some boogeyman under the bed. We're like their neighbors and their family and their friends. Um, and that's a, re that's a real light bulb moment for a lot of people. So I think that history is on our side. Um, momentum is on our side. The more that we keep coming out and the more that we keep fighting um, the more that, that we will win this thing. 
So um, we're, you know, if this, I like to think that if this was a movie, we're in that montage now where like they, <laughs> they show us training up um, and you're like, what's going to happen? But like, you kind of know they're going to win at the end. I think that's where we're at. <laughs> I love that so much. Thank you, Rigo. And one of the through lines that I'm hearing is allyship, is building community, is fighting. Is Sasha, I want to pivot to you a little bit. We've talked previously that a number of states, um, including most recently Florida, um, have banned trans youth from playing sports with their peers. Um, what does this mean for, for trans youth in those states? Um, and what are the legal challenges right now? Yeah, I mean, every, Rodrigo, especially, and everybody in the panel has touched on this already, so I won't go deep, but I think it's really important to repeat, you know, that this is, you know, even if these bills don't move forward and become law, they're harmful in the messages they send and, and, and where they are passed, yeah, it has a devastating impact on, first of all, it, it prohibits them from participating, but as, you know, Rodrigo mentioned already, you know, the rates of bullying and harassment and discrimination that kid, trans kids already experience is just exacerbated by these these laws because it puts the spotlight on them and uh, it denies them the participation that we're talking about you know the joys of sport you know i mean you learn i've learned so i'm still learning i'm you know i i learn something every time i go out onto a field you know and people are always teaching me there's mentorship there's discipline there's teamwork there's cooperation all of those things that come with sports the social interaction you know especially in andrea can speak to this more than i can obviously but the that unique opportunity you have at that age to bond with your peers is a once in a lifetime experience. And, and that's what they're being, that's what they're trying to take away from these kids. You know, so it's just uh, absolutely reprehensible that, you know, that this kind of legislation is being introduced by the far right. And I think that it's also important to point out that, you know, this isn't just about trans kids, you know, this is heightened scrutiny. We've seen this with the bathroom ban bills. When these laws or bills are introduced, you know, they, uh, inevitably end up targeting anybody that doesn't conform with gender stereotypes. And I know this is part of the far right's plan to gender police everybody until they're, you know, into cookie cutter ideas about what they believe is a man and a woman. But it's really dangerous and the impact, and I'm sure we're going to see that impact. So I just wanted to make those points, you know, that, um, you know, about the benefits of participation and the harms of trans kids. But, but yeah, heck yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to clap back. You know, we've been doing this since 1973, you know, land illegal, and we're not going to sit and let these laws go into place and, and have trans kids be harmed. So yeah, we're, you know, we're definitely looking at all options. You know, the courts have been so infected by Trump judges. You have to be a little strategic in deciding where you're going to file lawsuits, but we are going to respond and we have responded already. Two weeks ago, we filed a case in West Virginia, you know, which is one of the states that, you know, implemented one of these bans, you know, and we're, you know, looking closely at Florida and other states. So, yeah, we're going to definitely respond. And, and uh, you know, the arguments that, you know, are being raised, as Ann already pointed out and others, you know, are, are completely speculative. You know, these legislators are asked all across the country, you know, well, you know, can you name one trans athlete in your state? Uh, no, I, no, I, I, you know, you know, and they always, you know, so they, repeatedly they have no example so it's a solution in search of a problem you know there was a study done by the center for american progress a few months ago that just really went really really deep and looked at you know states that have inclusive policies you know which have been in place by the way for decades there's over 60,000 trans kids participating every day losing everybody every day and nobody cares you know but that's not a story no but but um but um uh the the, the point i was trying to make is that there was there's been no decline in the in the amount of women's participation where there have been inclusive policies. In fact, the opposite is true. There's been increases in women's participation where trans people are able to participate in accordance with their gender identity. So all that to say, yeah, um, it, it's just an absolutely reprehensible you know thing that's happening in the attack on trans kids. I get we all get that this is part of the political landscape and it's something we're going to deal with. But the harm is is, is absolutely terrible. But um, uh, we're going to win, and I'm proud to be part of this with you all. And uh, uh, hopefully sooner than later. I love that, Sasha. Thank you. I have pom poms behind me for other things, and I, I just wanted to like pull out the pom poms and cheer. I'm so fired up that you're fighting back and you're at the helm and you're excited and ready to do it. Like, this is exactly what we need. And can I just add on to that? You know, it's, it's definitely, you know, the, it's a, it's a team effort. It's Andrea. It's people that were willing to stand up and say no, you know, or to be themselves. It's not just, you know, a few lawyers. I will say too, though, it is exciting to be part of the legal community and watch the growing number of trans and non-binary folks in the legal community that are fighting these fights. It's really, really like Chase and so many other wonderful folks, you know, so it's just really, really, so it's a team effort. 
team effort, absolutely. But it's nice to see someone who's leading many of these charges fired up and excited about it. And I, your enthusiasm is contagious to get us all more involved. Um, speaking of getting more involved, uh, Rigo, um, protections for transgender Americans, as we've seen and heard, is a patchwork of policies uh, at best. Um, what would national non-discrimination protections look like for transgender people and how far away from that are we? Well, the bottom line is that we need to pass the Equality Act. For anyone who doesn't already know, the uh, current state of non-discrimination protections is that you are more or less protected depending on where you live. Your rights literally depend on your zip code, which is absurd. I mean, for example, where, where I'm from, my hometown is Florida. And as we mentioned, Florida is the latest state to pass one of these sports bills. Well, in Florida has no statewide protections against discrimination, but a lot of cities and counties do. So you could live in one city and be protected in some parts of your life there. But then when you commute to work in another city, you're not protected on for the same kinds of things. That's completely unsustainable. It's completely unfair. So right now we have this patchwork and the solution to that is to pass a federal bill, is to do something that is national to make it neat and clean and simple in, in explicit black and white terms at the federal level that trans people, you cannot discriminate against people just for being trans. The Equality Act is the simple solution to this. I mean, it would um, upgrade all of our non-discrimination protections uh, to cover virtually every part of daily life. We have employment protections secure definitively thanks to the Bostock Supreme Court decision last summer. Um, and legally, a lot of that extends to healthcare and education. But it, we still need the Equality Act to cover things like public spaces, the legal term for that is public accommodations. And you can kind of think of it as everywhere you go in your daily life, other than work, school, or a place of worship. Obviously really essential. It covers things like parks and stores and movie theaters. Um, and we know for a fact that these are a lot of these places where trans people get turned away. So the Equality Act would fix that. It would just make it, comp it completely clear in black and white terms that you can't, you are not allowed to discriminate against trans people. Um, it's in the Senate right now. It already passed out of the House, so now we've got to win it in the Senate. Um, and this is really timely. So if you're interested in helping out, sign up for a phone bank, write your senator. No matter where you live, your senator needs to hear from you. Um, so you might live um, in Virginia or Maryland and think that, ah, oh, my senator's fine. Call them. <laughs> it does not matter it, it, uh, who your senator is. The opposition is funneling phone calls in all the time. And so it's on us to fight that back, to send in just as many phone calls um, to show that the majority of folks are on our side. So call your senator. And if you're down a phone bank, you can go to NCT's website. It's transequality.org. We phone bank every Monday night. A lot of the other groups um, on this webinar are doing a lot of other things on the Equality Act as well. So check out all our websites, um, plenty to do to get involved, and then we can finally pass this thing. Awesome. From the audience, um, I'm going to change a little thing, a couple things up on my screen. So uh, participants, if you want to raise your little yellow participant hand, we'll see if we can call on you. You can ask your question directly. Um, we did have a question come in via the chat. Um, and this is for Andrea. Um, Andrea, we see through the film uh, this really incredible relationship and friendship with Terry. Um, and Terry even talks about in the film her courage to come out and, and run as a trans woman because of your visibility and your resilience in doing it. So um, we'd love to hear like what that means to you. How does it feel to be, be the visibility for someone else and, and give them the the courage to be themselves. I will stop talking. This is you. <laughs> um, honestly, it was everything to me. I just remember, I remember Terry had reached out to me, I think a little before our sophomore year. So my freshman year, I mean, I remember just being very lonely and not really having anyone with I could kind of relate to and kind of, you know, 
um, talk to you about kind of what I was going through with things in trauma in Connecticut as well. But as, I mean, once Terry came out, we started running together. Then, I mean, we talked to each other about everything. Um, I mean, specifically what we were going through with like the petitions, the lawsuits, things of the sort. But it was just great to have her there and to have, just have someone I could kind of confide in and be like, hey, you know, this is bothering me. I talked to you about it. And we were just able to really relate to each other on a deeper level, deeper level because I mean, we were the only two chance um, runners in Connecticut. But yeah, it meant everything to me. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Andrea, um, Ava mentioned um, camaraderie and, and we've been talking about this quite a bit. Um, what has it been like, you know, we see in the film, um, you have this great relationship with some of your teammates. So what has it been like to be out as a trans athlete and the people that you're on teams with, how's that reception been for you? Yeah, um, I think overall, it's been very smooth. Um, I remember kind of in the beginning of my transition, my freshman year, I mean, even that very first practice, that very first track meet, no one had treated me any differently than anybody else on the team. Everyone was just very accepting. Didn't really, again, like just question, you know, why I was there, why I was on the team. People just acted as if I was any other sprinter. And I mean, I think that, I mean, it really helped for me to like continue to run track and continue to play the sport that I love especially with all the attention kind of in the media and all the negativity through legislation. But I think one very important part that I kind of hold dear to my heart was one, I was in junior, my junior year of high school, I think um, spring, sem spring semester, yeah. And I was actually concerned like not running track anymore and kind of just focusing on getting ready for college, just kind of closing the chapter, the chapter of track like in my life kind of closing it early um and I guess in part that was kind of due to what I had gone through throughout media and kind of all the negative negativity that I'd gone through the past three years I didn't know if I wanted to go through that for a whole other year but I once had a conversation with my friends and they were kind of, they were kind of telling me like you know why I should continue to run track and kind of how I shouldn't let what people say over like the internet dictate you know, whether I, play, whether I participate in sports I love and whether I just kind of have fun with my last year of high school. And they were there kind of being like, you know, we're always here for you. If you need anything, you can always come to us. And I mean, I'm saying, I tell you all that to say that they were just a huge reason as to why I continued to play the sport and why my overall transition did go a lot smoothly. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, that's a really, uh, a really great closing point as we are coming up on time. Um, to talk about allyship um, and support. And this is sort of, this theme is interwoven throughout our conversation tonight. And we've talked about ways to get involved, um, but I wanna make sure that we're leaving audience members um, with one tangible action step or thing they can do um, after this panel to support trans athletes, trans youth, to create safer and more affirming spaces for trans people, trans youth all across the country. Um, and so I would love to hear a brief action step, tangible something that you're excited about. Um, Andrea, do you wanna start us off? Yeah, um, I think one that can be, kind of, can be kind of tough at times, just kind of, well, one, like, to further educate yourself on the trans community and on trans people in sports. And then kind of once you have that education, kind of spreading it in your immediate communities and like again like your friends, families, things like that. Because I know that it can be kind of hard if like someone were to say something maybe that wasn't like the nicest, kind of like correcting them, that can be kind of difficult as well. But I think just making sure you do the little things that count as well and just continue to have those conversations. Okay. I love that. Thank you. It's the little things. Um, Rigo, you want to jump in? Sure, I'll repeat my plug about the Equality Act uh, because that would extend so many protections that could ultimately preempt a lot of these uh, bad bills, um, the youth medical bans and the youth sports bans. Um, it would really give us a lot of leverage to fight these attacks on the state level in places that, um, that are still 
running these hostile attacks. So again, there's phone banks every single night of the week and these phone banks are to call people who live in target states. So you can sign up to phone bank from anywhere, um, all 50 states, DC, all the territories. You can sign up to phone bank and call people who live in other places to get them to call their senator. Um, and we also have texting versions of it too. If you're like, I don't wanna talk on the phone, I get it. <laughs> um, we have text banks as well, where you just um, do it from your cell phone. So transequality.org on the homepage is a big Equality Act image and you can sign up there. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, Ava, what's your one thing you want folks to leave with? I'm gonna echo all the um, political advocacy that's out there. Um, this morning, uh, I, I learned that uh, the Supreme Court ruled nine nothing in an immigration case and denied immigrants uh, a tremendous benefit. Uh, so it reminded me that we can't, always rely on the courts to help us, that we have to win these battles politically. We have to cast these folks into the part of history that they belong to. And so I would echo all that. I would also say, come out and watch a girls baseball game. Uh, we have a week long tournament in Aberdeen, Maryland uh, this summer. And uh, if you've never, and you'll see excellent baseball and a level of camaraderie and joy just for being among a group of girls that all love the same thing where they don't have to be the only girl out there. Uh, it will change your life, I promise. Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, Sasha. Uh, I've got three, I'll make them quick. One is if you um, hear, you know, support trans kids. If you hear something transphobic or people are going after trans kids, you know, please step in and interrupt. Number two, if you're trans or non-binary, please play, please participate. Team DC is such a great uh, menu of options, whether it's darts, softball, whatever you got, whatever you want, just participate because it's so important and so healthy. Number three, this is like something I've been thinking about with the state legislative um, attacks, you know, that people don't pay enough attention to state legislators and city council members. They, you know, the only the people that the far right does, <laughs> we don't. So. Um, my, my assignment, if you choose to accept it, is to just find out who your city council member is or your state legislator. That's all I ask. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And Anne. Oh, such good action items. So on our end, please follow Athlete Ally on social media. We our communications director, Joanna Hoffman, is amazing, and she does so much amazing work to uplift trans voices and trans stories all throughout the year, follow trans athletes on social media. Um, our dear friend and colleague, Chris Mosier, who is also a, a, a trans athlete and a very high-level athlete, follow Chris on social media. Chris has amazing action alerts, um, and I, I want to add to something that that Ava said about women's sports. One of the things we've been hearing over and over again is how these, these laws protect women's sports. And those of us who've been fans of women's sports or playing women's sports for years know that there are actual challenges to women's sports, like equal pay, like lack of women leadership and coaching, lack of sponsorship opportunities. So if you really want to focus the conversation on supporting women and girls in sports, and that's inclusive of trans women and girls, support women's sports and drown out this rhetoric that we protect women's sports by excluding trans women and girls. Thank you all so much for these incredible tangible action items. Um, I wanna thank everyone for joining us tonight for this fantastic conversation, um, especially because we were able to center so many wonderful trans voices um, on this panel of experts. Um, trans representation and visibility, especially when we're telling our own stories about joy, success, and resilience is an act of resistance and tells other trans people that they too deserve love and joy. Um, so a big thank you to Team DC, NCTE, Lambda Legal, Athlete Ally, and Hulu for prioritizing conversations about transgender inclusion by centering transgender people. Um, and of course, a big thank you to our game-changing panelists, Andrea, Anne, Ava, Rigo, and Sasha. 
Changing the Game is officially on Hulu as an original documentary and part of Hulu's Pride Month celebration. I encourage everyone to not only see the film, but to continue to take action to support our trans community. Uh, have a happy and safe Pride Month. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.